This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, in caverns, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 719 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Baum. I'm here, and I'm matching your energy. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, and I'm your head number two. In this episode, we're reviewing new comics from the last two new comic book Wednesdays. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, you're going to get our sampling of our Patreon Extra when you support THN for as little $1 a month, which we really should have thought out, you get access to segments like this week's Nerd TV segment, where we're talking about the return of Loki and the boys spinoff, Generation V. So It's just called Gen V. Gen V. No, it's just no called Gen iteration. V? Oh, I thought it was Generation V. It's just Gen no. V? All right. Get your head out of the comics, Scott Liddell. It's yeah. just called Gen V. Fair enough. So if you weren't born a mutant, I hope your parents shot your baby ass up with some superpowers because it's review time in the cigarette! New Comic Book Wednesday, October 10th. Our new comic book show is simple. We review six comics from last week and six from this week, and then we apply our seemingly simple, but in all actuality, extremely subjective and overly complicated three-point rating scale of buy it, skim it, or leave it. Yeah, the air quotes were implied. There's no decimals. There are no decimals. <laughs> uh-huh. There's yeah, just other sure. things. There's other factors. Sure, right. It's, no, yeah, there are no decimals because it's not a numerical system. That doesn't mean anything. It's based on everything from our own biases to what we had for lunch before reading. This time, our new comics pile features the original Sandman back in action, Gotham going positively mad, a superior and a spine-tingling Spider-Man and more Spider-Men. But it all starts with a couple of podcast hosts that figured out there was no money in podcasting. So now they're cashing in on comics. Matt Bomb, should we follow their business model? Apparently they know where their bread is buttered and it's not in podcasting, baby. Do we know any comic book artists? <laughs> Talking about Operation Sunshine, number one from Dark Horse is 32 pages for $3.99. This is written by Marcus Parks and Henry Zabrowski, the creators of the last podcast on the left. Cover and art by David Rubin, colors by KJ Diaz, and letters by Ferran Delgado. Here is your solicit. From the New York Times best-selling hosts of the hit last podcast. Best-selling hosts? New York Times best-selling hosts of the hit last podcast. What are they selling well, Apparently they also have a book, Matt. Come Maybe on. they have Anyhow. a book. I don't know. From the New York Times best-selling hosts of the hit last podcast on the left and Black Hammers, David Rubin come this, comes this all-new humorous horror and action-packed comic book series that's near dark meets Ocean's Eleven, a group of young alienated vampires known as Bugs plot to steal a magical object from an ancient monstrous vampire to turn themselves back to humans. Along the way, they uncover a sprawling monster underground, a top-secret plot run by the elder creatures, elite mutant vampire slayers, and madness beyond imagining blocking their path to humanity. It's like if they had written a children's book and won the Caldecott Medal. So then they would be the Caldecott Medal-winning hosts of the last podcast on the left. Gotcha. Two different things. All right. I haven't been crazy with the last podcast hosts, other comic book output, but 
It does seem like they're improving. This vampire story is still completely over the top. It's a little overwritten, full of foul mouth humor, but it's also working for me this time. You can hear the different writers' voices, but they work for the separate main characters. And the overarching story has a pretty solid setup. Both writers are still doing a little too much, but there is some good humor here. I like the vamp society rules are developing, but it's really the art that was the draw. Ruben has a lot of credits to his name. We reviewed his book Ether on this show and both really liked it. He's great. I love his art. I love his art very, very much. Uh, it's a little different here. It's much stranger. Yeah. It's wacky. It like way, way, it way leans into the strangeness and yeah, it is gory and gross, um, but I love it. I love the vampire designs. Um, the story is good. I found the dialogue to be kind of like weird. Like everybody talks with this kind of strange affectation. Uh, and I can't quite put my finger on what I mean by that, but they sound um, like the podcast hosts. <laughs> they, they really do. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but yes, this is uh, this is a fun idea, beautiful art. I'll give this a buy it as well. I know nothing about the podcast, nothing sure. other than like it's. I know of its existence, so I have no frame of reference. It's a fun show. They do a great job on it. Much better than us. <laughs> They're producers and stuff, though, so it's not fair. Well, you know, this is the last podcast on the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. While we're on the subject of bizarre artwork, let's talk about my first book, Wesley Dodds, colon, The Sandman, number one from DC Comics. I didn't even think the art was this weird. I thought it was pretty straightforward for this dude. Well, I mean, I'll get into it. Uh -huh. It's written by Robert Venditti with art by Riley Rosmo, colors by Ivan Placentia, letters by Tom Napolitano. It's 32 pages for $3.99. And here's your solicit. The Golden Age Sandman returns in a new noir mystery. After years of testing and experimentation, Wesley perfected the sleep gas as the optimal weapon to fight crime without causing undue harm. But when his journal detailing all his failed and far more deadly formulas is stolen, the Sandman must hunt down the thief and the people in the shadows pulling the strings before the contents of the journal are released. Maybe giving away the milk for free a little bit there, DC. I mean, pump, a pump little. the brakes on that solicit. A little, a little. <laughs> DC has finally remembered that they started up an entire sub-line of comics called The New Golden Age. So after a year of them cranking out one issue of Justice Society of America every couple of months, we're about to have JSA adjacent comics coming out of our ears. Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, is the first entry in this new batch of books, and the story takes us back to DC's old Golden Age, prior to the JSA's formation. Venditti weaves a tale that could fit right into the classic Sandman mystery theater book. They even name dropped the tarantula with Wes terrorizing murderous mobsters and romancing socialite Diane Belmont. We learn of his prophetic dreams and his desire to develop non-lethal weapons after experiencing the horrors of World War One. But part of that scientific advancement involved dangerous research that will drive the series' mystery forward. Riley Rosmo's art is appropriately dreamlike at times, but also full of bold, hard-hitting action sequences and impressive layouts. And yeah, you're right. It's a little bit more, when it needs to be, it's a little bit more subdued than some of the stuff we've seen from him recently. Oh, it's way chiller. I, I mean, like... I, like, let's not get carried away. It's still bonkers, but it's, it's maybe a little less... 
compared to what he are too muchly strange. Yeah, compared to what he has been doing, this is way dialed back. I don't want to take anything away from Tom Napolitano's excellent lettering, but it also looks like Rosmo incorporated a lot of his own hand-drawn sound effects into the art, which really adds something cool to the aesthetic, as do Ivan Placentia's brilliant colors. Wesley Dodds, The Sandman number one is a fantastic addition to DC's new golden age, and I'm excited to see where the line goes on from here. I'm giving this one a buy it. Yeah, this took me straight back to Sandman Mystery Theater. Instantly. I was right back. I loved that title. I love the old school Vertigo adventures of Wesley Dodds. Bring back Vertigo. You cowards. You're bringing back Elseworlds. There's no excuse. All right, all right. That's a different podcast. Do it, do it, do it, do it. I loved this. And I thought Rosmo was perfect for this. I love the style here because he could still get really dreamy and weird with it. The gas looks great. The huge panels of Wesley being all creepy in the gas mask. When in reality, he's not a creepy guy at all. He really isn't. He's just kind of straight laced. Dork. He's kind of a nebbishy <laughs> dork. Yeah. Yeah. He's very yeah. Like, socially weird, I think. This was fantastic, though. Huge buy it. going to stay in DC for a book that I didn't even know was happening, quite honestly. And this guy seems like a pretty big deal. It <laughs> sort of dropped it on us. It's Batman City of Madness, number one, from DC Black Label, 48 pages, $4.99, written and illustrated by Christian Ward. He's the big deal I was talking about. If you don't remember, you'll know in a second. Letters by Hassan Atsmani Yalau. Here is your solicit. Visionary creator Christian Ward unleashes a cosmic horror epic featuring the Court of Owls. Buried deep beneath the Gotham City, there exists another Gotham. This Gotham below is a living nightmare, populated by twisted mirrors of our Gotham's denizens. Very, um, us, I guess, if you will. Yeah, yeah, kind of. (laughs) Fueled by the fear and hatred flowing down from above for decades, the doorway between the cities has been sealed and heavily guarded by the Court of Owls, but now the door swings wide, and the twisted version of the Dark Knight has escaped! To trap and train a Robin of his own, Batman must form an uneasy alliance with the court and its deadly allies to stop him and to hold back the wave of twisted supervillains, nightmarish versions of his own nemeses, each one worse than the last that's spilling into his streets. Visionary writer-artist Christian Ward unleashes his cosmic horror take on Batman's world in a tribute to disturbing Dark Knight classics like Batman, Arkham Asylum, and Batman Gothic! Exclamation point which I think you need to yell at. Batman, gothic! You'll never look not at- Not in all caps, not in no, all caps. No, it's not, but know. it is an exclamation. You'll never look at Batman's villains the same way again. You simply won't have the stomach for it. It's that gross. I added that part. <laughs> I am not sure why the solicit doesn't mention the Ward was the artist of last year's mind-bogglingly beautiful Aquaman Andromeda. It was a black label book that Joe and I both loved. The art here is just as amazing with a truly creepy new take on Two-Face that sees effects like literally leaping off of his mutilated half in the panels. Ward, who proved he could write with his vampire book at Image, Bloodstained Teeth, brings a new cosmic horror element to the Court of Owls, a group I got pretty bored of during Scott Snyder's run, but this new slant has me in again. Since this is a black label read, we don't have to worry about continuity, but I do have a lot of questions about what looks to be this new villain of the story. 
It's Ward's art that really sells things, though. There's an ethereal style to his line and color that gives the plot a nightmarish feel that falls somewhere between sort of P. Craig Russell and Tim Sale. His style captures Batman and his Gotham perfectly. But before I call this a masterpiece, I got to see where the hell this insane story is going. So far, I'm giving it a buy it. So again, I wish that they had kind of laid off on the story details in the solicit. It's one thing, you know, to give a vague overview of the plot, like the Court of Owls is hiding something sinister in the bowels of the... It's another thing to just come right out and say it's like the world Gotham below, demonic versions of Batman, blah, blah, blah. Like, I almost kind of think that. they don't had tell us all that to. Stuff. Otherwise, why? Because I read this first issue and I was like, what is going on? And then I read the solicit and I went, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> See, I read the first issue and I knew exactly what was going on. Okay. The, the story spells it all out. It's like, yeah, they're they're hiding a portal to this or they had trapped a creature from this like upside down. It's basically the upside down from Stranger sort of, Things yeah. if uh, the upside down was populated with demonic versions of people. Yeah. Or like, or it's the Batman version of Bizarro World. Like, however you want to. It's us. Like, it's Jordan Peele's however, us. Yeah, it's us. I mean, without the weird government cloning thing. I hated that movie. I didn't hate that I, movie I, at if all. They had, if they had just, like, played it cool and let the story reveal, oh, God, oh, God. Because when we got, I hadn't, I didn't read the solicit until after, or well, until just now I heard it for the first time. But when I finally got to the end of the book it, and they were like, yeah, Batman below, which I thought was so cool, like this play on Batman Beyond, like, and they ruined it. Like, they just ruined it in the solicit. They Don't do, do that. They definitely ruin it in the solicit. But I thought it was great. I loved it. I loved the take on uh, Two-Face and how oh, Harvey yeah. and bad Harvey. I don't know. They call him bad Harvey. Good Harvey and bad Harvey. Yeah. Uh, how they're kind of like working together, which is a strange fun thing. This was good. It's a buy it for me. The artwork is beautiful. Fantastic stuff. But DC stop with the spoilers in your solicits. Just quit. All right, let's get to the portion of the show where we talk about young women's mental health. Something we're experts on. We're talking about a haunted girl number one from Image Comics. It's written by Ethan and Naomi Sachs, with art by Marco Lorenzano, colors by Anders Massa, letters by Jaime Martinez, cover by Joe Casada. Well, at least one of the covers. It's 40 pages for $4.99, and here's your solicit. The only cover that mattered, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's cover A, <laughs> you know, if you if you will, is by Joe Casada. Miniseries premiere. Thanks, Image. Cleo, an adopted 16-year-old Japanese-American whose depression drove her to near suicide, is trying unsuccessfully to reintegrate back into her old life, but her struggles are just beginning as she encounters an increasingly terrifying succession of ghosts. Is she losing her grip on reality, or is the explanation much worse? A Haunted Girl number 1 is good. It's an interesting, slow-burn horror story with Sixth Sense meets Japanese horror vibes. But then you get to the end and discover that the simple horror story that you thought you were reading is anything but. Then you get to the essay written by Ethan Sachs at the end that reveals that his co-writer Naomi Sachs isn't his wife, but his young daughter, whose mental health journey inspired the story. 
it added so much more meaning to the comic I just read that I thought about it for days afterward. Upon rereading it for this review, there was a sudden emotional investment that I didn't have before. Should Sachs have included the essay at the beginning of the issue instead, or was it better to let the story stand on its own first? I I can't say. Let the story stand on its own first, so it doesn't look like you're trying. I, I can't say. That's a matter of opinion. All I know is that, for me, this was the first comic in a long time that I was glad to reread right away. Lorenzano's art is good, but it's nothing too remarkable at first. The figure drawing, backgrounds, and panel layouts are pretty standard stuff, but then he hits you with a terrifying demon spider, half-lady demon spider, or the ghost of a dead old lady with her neck spun around 900 degrees. It creates a great contrast between the living world and the things that haunt it. A Haunted Girl number 1 was an unexpected punch to the gut. I didn't have any expectations going in, good or bad, but the deeply personal story blew me away. I'm giving this a buy it. I loved it. I very much like the story here. A lot. It's very well written. I love where the place where it comes from. It's great. The art kind of took me out of some of it, to be perfectly honest. I, the art is very unremarkable. I was not blown away when the monster showed up. I even looked at it and well, went, hmm, okay. I thought the monsters were gross. I thought the monsters were I'm not were saying it's not though. gross. I just, I feel like there's times where like, this is a perfectly good comic book artist. And I'm not an artist, so I'm not going to talk shit about anyone's art. But there's times where I look at things and I, and I go, maybe they're a little out of their depth here. Like there's other people that can draw a monster where I go, that is scary, gross, ew, wow. And I felt like maybe this needed a little more of that. Like we've got a really creepy cover that lets you know what you're getting into. The art for the day-to-day stuff, fine with it. Doesn't bother me at all. But when it gets in the supernatural, fell down for me a little bit. I'm so you get, think it didn't go far enough? Yeah. I, I think it, the supernatural parts didn't work enough for me. They looked a little too just regular world, but there's a weird monster here. You know, like, I don't know. It just didn't do it as much. I'm going to give it a buy it. Cause the story is so good. I just wasn't real impressed with the art. I mean, that's fair. Art is so good. Yeah. Switching to a subject that, uh, old guys like Joe and I might know a little more about. I'm talking about midlife or how to be a hero at 50. Number one from image comics. It's written by Brian Bucciolato with cover and art by Stefano Simeone. Go on with that. Letters sure. and letters by Hassan Atsmani Alao, who I think he's going to get a hat trick if he's not careful here, just so you know. Well, so far <laughs> we're two for two. Yeah. Well, we, we, we got two, two from We haven't Hassan. even seen any of the VCs gang yet. Here's your solicit. No. Ruben Kwan, in all caps for some reason, is a 50-year-old firefighter who's been afraid of fire his whole life. Instead of running into burning buildings, he pushes papers living in the shadow of his father who died a hero on the job. After 25 years in the LAFD, he's firmly in the middle of an unremarkable life until his new wife gets pregnant and a random act of courage reveals that Ruben is fireproof. 
New York Times bestselling writer Brian Buccioletto, who worked on No One, The Flash, and Chicken Devil, a book that we both loved, teams up with star artist Stefano Simeone, who worked on The Last Days of Black Hammer and Radiant Black, to tell a totally relatable, sometimes cringy story of a middle-aged dad who's about to find out that his new powers have major strings attached. It's been a while since I've read a Buccioletto book, and I forgot how natural funny and smart this guy's dialogue can come off. Yes, this comic's about a 50-year-old nerd, and I am very close to that age, so I can relate to it. And it opens with an argument about the Batman and Robin movie that I distinctly remember having (laughs) with my old friends. And like I mentioned, I am also nearing my midlife. So it instantly endeared me to this character as well. From there, the story flashes forward to Ruben's modern day life working HR for the fire department. And while all this sounds like it could be fairly boring soap opera crap, this creative team keeps the pace moving with deeply personal dialogue and plot points matched by incredible art and colors by Simeone. I can't say I've seen this artist's work before, but it keeps a book that is 90% talking heads rolling and makes it really slick as hell. What a great last page, too. Midlife number one is an excellent start to a very human superhero story that looks like it's just perfectly ready to make the jump to TV right off the bat. I'm giving this a buy it. I would watch the hell out of this show. This was a a delight. I I thought the art was fantastic, but I love the twist that, like, he's a member of the uh, fire department, but he's terrified of actually running into a burning building because of what happened to his dad. Great emotional stuff. I thought the dialogue was a little bit try hard at times. Like maybe there was a character, an older character that had, that was using like young vernacular that did not fit, <laughs> fit him, but it, that's a nitpick. It wasn't a deal breaker. This is a buy it. it this was wonderful. I th- Fun stuff. I thought it kind of helped illustrate that that character is crazy <laughs> as well, though, you know, which they were trying to do. I don't know if I'm remembering correctly because I read this, you know, last week, but. The homeless guy is who we're talking about, right? He talks like he's full on like a gangster. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, that yeah. was it then. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Because like he's right. He's crazy. Just like, yeah, the dude is nuts, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it, regardless, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the book. It's a buy it. And now it's the part of the podcast where we talk about things that might affect your enjoyment of the comic book. (laughs) It's Superior Spider-Man Returns, number one, one shot for Marvel Comics. Uh, Look, that's not even a joke. There's a a big one right on it. Stories by Dan Slott with a script by Chris Doskage, pencils by Mark Begley, Ryan Stegman, and uh, oh, two more guys, Humberto Ramos and Giuseppe Camancoli. Inks are by John Dell, J.P. Mayer, and Victor Olzaba. Colors by Edgar Delgado and letters by VCs Joe Carmagna. There I was worried is. our boys would not it's get the first Carmagna of the show. There it is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it is 48 pages for $6.99. And here is your solicit Superior Spider Man web slings again. The spider team that redefined the amazing Spider Man returns to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of the most monumental. And shocking Spidey story in a generation. That's that's saying a lot because in a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about the scariest Spider-Man comic ever made. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> Breaking a lot of ground with uh, Spider-Man this week. Dan Slott, Ryan Stegman, Mark Begley, Giuseppe Cooley, Humberto Ramos, 
Peter Parker, Duck Ock. Those are, they make it all sound like they're the names of creators. But not. Don't forget Slide. Slide is here Slide. too. <laughs> Anna Maria. <laughs> Together again for a Spider-Man story superior to all others. Look, everything about this comic is fine. It's just fine. Not superior by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, it's the 10th anniversary of a plot line that we all loved back in the day. Well, maybe not all of you, but Matt and I did. Which came in the middle of an already beloved run by a fan favorite writer. But a decade removed, it feels stale to me. Furthermore, I felt absolutely nothing reading it. The art is good, the writing is good, but the story is unremarkable, and considering the divisive current run of Amazing Spider-Man, I don't really think revisiting 10-year-old Spider-Man storylines is a great way to breathe life back into Spidey. This all sounds really harsh, but I have nothing against this comic. Like I said, it's fine. The problem is that I'm just not interested anymore. While it's perfectly competent when judged on its own merits, Superior Spider-Man Returns felt more like a tired rehash instead of the first chapter of something new and exciting. I'm going to give it a skim it. I'm sure there's a clever way to do these, to revisit these storylines. And I just... But the thing is, is that it's not like, I, I don't, don't want to put it on par with like the Janice Vell book or the Joe Fixer book, because that's not what's happened. But even those were, we gave them skimmets. We didn't give any of these by it. And maybe it's because we keep reading these and revisiting these plot lines and keep going, why are we doing but, this? Because it's not- But this is not what that is. This is leading to a current storyline that will spin out into a new ongoing oh, Superior Spider-Man you, mini uh, I had, ongoing series. And it's not part of this just revisiting stuff? You're positive? No. No. Oh my God. Well, then I'm giving it this a leave it. This is a prelude it. <laughs> to a new ongoing Superior okay. Spider-Man. I'm giving it a leave it then. I was going to give oh. us a skim it. I was going to put it at that level with all the ones who are like, why are we doing this again? There's, and I like I be, said. My review would be totally different if that was the case, but it's not. There's got to be a clever way to do this. And this doesn't feel clever. This just feels like doing more to do it, you know, and, and. Look, not to mention the fact that the art shifts like four times in this book. And it's no one's bad at it, but they're noticeable art shifts and not for reasons. Not like, remember that time no, we for, did this? It's for reasons because one Giuseppe of them is. Coley, one of them Ryan Stegman. I'm, okay, I'm not no, saying Ryan that. Ryan Stegman, Giuseppe Camoncoli, Mark Bagley, and Umberto Ramos I, all. I understand that, that. I'm saying there's a way to do that cleverly as well. To shift like two months ago, different yeah. artists. Yesterday, different artists. In a dream, yeah. different. You know, something. This is just like, oh, they all worked on it, so they did some pages. It, none of this worked. I'm giving this a leave. It. I don't care. I'm not excited. I don't want to go back, and I don't know why we are going back. I yeah, thought but, this was something else. Now that yeah, I know yeah, what no. it is, I'm even angrier at it. <laughs> to leave it. <laughs> I, I would have I would have approached it way differently if this had just been another like Silver Surfer Legacy or you know one of those yeah I would have said flashback books whatever fine right if you loved it like you might somebody love this. out there likes it good for you skim it don't need but to do no. it again this is a bold new vision for Spider Man coming yeah. next month don't need to do it again yeah. Are you all right? Uh, yes, but he he's out of his mind. Ock, you 
Let's jump from a spider story that we didn't give a shit about to one that will scare you so bad you'll shit. It's the spine-tingling Spider-Man number one. This is from Marvel. It's 28 pages. It's $3.99. It's written by Saladin Ahmed. Main cover and art by Juan Ferreira. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. He's on a roll now. Joe's back, There he is, baby. baby. There he is. <laughs> Here is your solicit. After a fight with Spider-Side, Spider-Man gets taken on the most frightening ride of his life as he finds himself in the most terrifying haunted house possible. Who took Peter's powers? Who took Peter's friends and family? Who stands the best chance at taking Spider-Man down permanently? The cover calls this the scariest Marvel book ever. And to be fair, I can't think of a lot of real scary Marvel comics, but let's review this thing and then we'll decide. Apparently, there was a spine-tingling number zero issue last month, but it was a reprint of the digital-only Marvel Infinity story by the same creative team. They did this for the Marvel Unlimited app. Don't worry, it has nothing to do with this story. Yep, I think it just got an all-new story. Just got them excited to work together and do more. Ferreira goes nuts here, switching from web-slinging classic Spidey hero panels with bright red and orange colors featuring a fight with Spider-Side. And don't feel bad if you don't know who that is. I had to ask Joe, but you don't want to know. It's not. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) But then it switches to a much darker color palette as Peter is sucked into a Rob Zombie-esque nightmare world, complete with anthropomorphic boars dining on human flesh. Is this the scariest Marvel book ever? Sure. I can't think of a scarier one, so why not? But more importantly, (laughs) this team pulls off a convincing spider horror story. I went into this extremely skeptical. I should have known that Saladin Amid is not going to give us bullshit. He's good. This is a buy it. I prepared for this, and I want to tell you a little bit about spider For the record, I did not ask for this. (laughs) I know, I know. I just feel like... I just feel like you said he's from the clone saga. And I went, "Ah, I'm good. (laughs) Do do what you will with this. Put it on the, leave it on the cutting room floor, put it up on YouTube. I don't care. But uncle Joe's story time, spider side. Check out the THN YouTube channel for uncle Joe's story time. Anyway, I thought this was fantastic. Yeah. You don't need to read the zero issue. You can, if you want to, it's, I'm sure it's more of this kind of high quality, scary stuff with great art. I love Juan Ferreira. I've loved him since we first saw him on the book Colder uh, years and years ago, back from Dark Horse. Great book. Great book. And uh, he's great here as well. The color is beautiful. The monsters are gross. There's all kinds of decapitated stuff. It's a bite. What more do you want? It's spooky season, baby. Yeah, spooky stuff. H-A-L-L-O. New Comic Book Wednesday, October 18th. From the Spidey Horror subgenre to just plain generic subgenres, it's subgenre number one from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Wilfredo Torres, colors by Bill Crabtree, letters by Jim Campbell. It's 32 pages for $7.99. Pump the brakes. We're going to talk about that. From the New York Times best-selling creators of BANG comes a mind-bending, multi-dimensional murder mystery presented in a pulp magazine-sized format. So it is like a big old crazy magazine-style yeah, thing. Yeah, it's huge. 
It's not going to fit in anything, and it won't go in your comic boxes. Well, so it'll get probably go in a magazine bag and board. It's going to make me mad is what it'll do. <laughs> a man is living two lives. He is a private detective in a dystopian cyberpunk future trying to solve a triple murder. But when he falls asleep, he wakes up as a wandering adventurer in a barbaric fantasy world where magic exists. Is he two separate people? Or is he a third person that has undergone a psychotic split? He jumps back and forth from sword-wielding barbarian to jaded private eye trying to solve the brutal crime. But the bigger question is, can he merge these realities without losing himself? The opening pages of the latest entry in the Flux House imprint had me wondering if I was somehow reading a sequel to the aforementioned spy comic, Bang. After finishing the issue, I'm still not all that Sure, but the real answer might not be that simple. Matt Kent's future noir mystery has shades of Blade Runner and plenty of meta-textual ideas that will bend your brain into a pretzel. Par for the course from the writer of Mind Migment, which is absolutely a good thing. Readers may find themselves inspired to revisit nearly all of Matt Kent's past works after this issue, or at least skim their Wikipedia pages. Uh... Be sure to read the back matter. You might think they're just reprints of the scripts, but they offer a lot of insight. The art by Wilfredo Torres and colorist Bill Crabtree is excellent, and the main character's deceptively plain design stands out against the neon-soaked cyber landscape in a way that immediately draws your eye. I'm honestly not sure what to expect from genre, but the first issue drew me in for a weird mystery that I'll definitely come back for, in the months ahead, I'm giving this a buy it. You okay? So you've definitely heard me scream about things like, "I read this first issue. I can't tell you shit about it. I don't know what happened. I hate it. Leave it. Barf." This is one of those times where I read the first issue and I went, "What the hell just happened? That was awesome. I love this." <laughs> it's not a feature, or it's not a bug. It's a feature, right? Like, it's and that's what Matt Kinn is really good at doing. He's yes. It's a totally bizarre plot. Yes, it's going to warp your damn brain. But he's so good at pulling you through it with just enough context that you go, I think this might be happening. It looks like this is happening. And the main character is also exploring that with you. And it certainly helps when you've got Wilfredo Torres on art, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite artists working today. And it's because dude doesn't overdraw anything. He gives you exactly what should be on the page to tell the story he needs to tell with the emotion that needs to be in each panel. He's so good. I love this book. Love the way it looked. Huge buy it. Matt Kent is a crazy person that keeps coming up with the coolest goddamn ideas ever. He's smarter than you and I. He may be a visitor on this planet. I love him. (laughs) No spoilers, but Matt will know what I'm hinting at. When the main character and his companion get to a location later in the book and you, you see some references to things. I was like, Oh no. Oh no. What are we doing, Matt? What are we doing? What's happening? And yeah. And it's like, it's a great feeling in this instance. Like I know exactly what you're talking about when normally you read a comic book where you're like, what the fuck? Right. Like here it's like, Oh yeah. What the fuck? Like, I'm excited. Well, it's got to be the hardest thing in the world to do that thing where it's like, I've got a straight ahead story, but I want to interweave several things into it to make it th- you think 
that it's going one way, but it's actually going another way. We want it to be confusing, but cohesive. That's going to be the hardest shit in the world. And it takes oh, a yeah. guy like Matt Kent to, and Jeff Lemire is another good example to put stuff like together and thread that needle. Huge bite. Totally agree. Next up is the book that I did not see coming because Little Peek at How the Sausage is Made. I don't read the solicits until I write my review. So, <laughs> this has I been kind of, yeah. Beneath the Trees Where No One Sees, number one from IDW. It's $3.99. It's written and drawn by Jason Horvath. With letters by, there it is, Hattrick, Hassan, Osmani. Oh, oh, everybody throws their hats on the ice. Good job, man. Here's your solicit. Don't murder the locals. This is a small town serial killer, upstanding citizen, and adorable brown bear, Samantha Strong's cardinal rule. After all, there's a sea of perfectly right potential victims in the big city, just beyond the forest, and when you've worked as hard as Sam to build a cozy life and a thriving business in a community surrounded by friendly fellow animal folk, warm decor, and the aroma of cedar trees and a freshly baked apple pie, the last thing you want to do is disturb the peace. So, you can imagine her indignation when one of Woodbrook's own meets a grisly, mysterious demise, and you wouldn't blame her for doing anything it takes to hunt down her rival before the town self-destructs and Sheriff Patterson literally starts barking up the wrong tree. He's a dog. <laughs> Live, laugh, shed blood, Dexter meets Richard Scarry's busy town in writer-artist Patrick Hovarth's twisted debut of Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees. The solicit sums this story up perfectly when it says Dexter meets Richard Scarry. Hovarth sets up an idyllic small town populated by adorable anthropomorphic animals lifted directly from the cutest Richard Scarry book you remember as a child. His art is just as adorable as his story with amazing detail and pastel colors. The story takes its time easing the reader into this adorable world, but you can feel the tone change in one single panel where the main character stops smiling while driving yes. to the city. Oh my God, it's it was chilling. Chilling. <laughs> now, I don't want to spoil anything here. Horvath sets up an incredible premise here. And while it's definitely the animal shtick that sells it, there's enough humanity in the story that you cannot help but both feel for, and even root for the killer. <laughs> I loved this. And the panels of the first murder are truly blood chilling. If you're the kind of maniac who always wanted to see what the adorable mouse fireman from your children's book looked like when drained of blood and cut into pieces, then I've got the comic for you. I'm giving this a buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, uh, this was like straight up some Hannibal shit. Those murder scenes were from the TV show version of Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen. It was grotesquely beautiful. And now when it comes to our review show, our new comic review show, I don't ever read the solicits of the book's Matt picks ever until we're in the moment. And so I had no idea what this was at all. I had only glanced at the cover and I was like, oh, he picked some weird cutesy shit. And then when I sat down to read it, I looked at the cover closely and I was like, oh. It's right there on the cover. And you wouldn't even notice it. It's on the it. cover. He's dragging a bag that's trailing blood behind him. But if or you something. just glance at it, you go, oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you look and right past it. And it's this like beautiful watercolor <laughs> portrait. Yeah. And it's 
so I didn't know what was going on. And then the bear, who I didn't know for sure was going to be a serial killer when I started reading the book, stops smiling. And, and that's when I was like, oh, no, this is going to be so bad. Well, but and it even was, at that but- point, without reading the solicit, I didn't know anything was going on. I was just like, oh, that's odd. And then three pages later, when things start happening, I flipped back yeah. to that panel and just went, Oh, <laughs> but, the, but the best part of the whole thing is that that is secondary to the actual plot of the book, mm-hmm. the actual arc of the story. And so when we got to the end and we finally see what's happening, I was I was on board. I mean, I was already on board, but he kept me guessing the entire time. Huge by it. The artwork is gorgeous. Yeah. God, it's beautiful. And like not in a lifted, sticky kind of way. Like, no, Horvath is, is just super talented and you can see it. And he, he's not even lifting Richard Scarry, putting his style onto this and it just works. It's the colors that sell I'm, everything though. It's the most delightful like murder scene colors, you've yeah. ever seen. The murder scene yeah. is gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we need to see, send somebody to check on these dudes that are doing these books that are like, cutesy animals but also murder or their shadows burned into the walls because they were atomized (laughs) like from like in wild's end it's like you guys are you okay (laughs) wow what a show joe patrick we already talked about some stories that are uncomfortable to revisit do you have any examples of i don't know an older story that might be actually fun to revisit Let's talk about Batman, Superman, colon, world's finest, number 20. It's from DC. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora, colors by Tamron Bonvillain, letters by Steve Wands. Steve it's 32 Wands. pages for $3.99. Who the hell is Steve Wands? I mean, he's the guy. He letters, all, he letters all these books. I'm just saying. This DC book. Here's your solicit. Mark Wade returns to the world of Kingdom Come. The return of Boy Thunder. To find and save Superman's former protege, the world's finest duo bridges the dimensional gulf between their world and an Earth with a jaded Superman, a broken Batman, and a war-hungry Wonder Woman, the world of Kingdom Come. The future world of Kingdom Come is back once again, and for the first time since its prequel slash sequel, The Kingdom, in 1999, Mark Waid is back at the helm. Here, Waid seamlessly links it to the faux Silver Age storyline he's been telling in World's Finest, specifically the tale of Superman's lost sidekick, Boy Thunder. Wade gives Superman and Batman a glimpse of the tragic aftermath of the original Kingdom Come before casting them back in time, giving them a chance to prevent Boy Thunder's dark fate. Good luck with that. It probably doesn't surprise you to hear that the co-creator of the original Kingdom Come does an outstanding job revisiting that world with a reverence for both DC's past and its potential future. Dan Mora is back on art duties after taking a short break last issue, and great Scott, does this book look amazing. I'm not sure if there's another artist on DC's roster right now that's as good at presenting DC's Silver Age past with a modern edge. Plus, in this issue, Mora delivers a stunning pair of pages showing off DC's multiverse with perfect homages to the artists responsible for the stories that are represented. 
just a quick aside, if you are an old nerd like me, especially an old Elseworlds fan like me, you will be picking stuff out of that two-page lineup like crazy. Like Thrill Killer is in there by Dan Burton. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Dark Knight Returns, obviously. Superman, Batman, Generations, that John Byrne book that just kept going on and on and on is in there. And he even draws it like John Byrne. It's crazy. Gorgeous stuff. I'm giving this a huge buy it. If you're not reading World's Finest, you a dummy. Yeah, World's Finest is one of those books that is, I mean, it's obviously it's because it's Mark Wade and he's one of the best in the business, but he can present this Silver Age stuff that I don't know shit about that is completely lost in me and make me go, this is awesome. He, this is explained very simply, little boxes as chronicled in Batman, Superman, World's Finest, yada, yada, yada. Whatever. It's all right there. If you want to know more, go find more. Dan Mora is putting on a clinic. Pay attention. Incredible. Future superhero comic book artist because Dan Mora just put out a clinic that will cost you $3.99 to take. This is like a perfect superhero comic. It, it really is. It is a yeah. perfect looking superhero comic. It's amazing. And I would, I'm going to take it a step further in the sense it's like, not because his drawing style is so detailed or so badass. He's just so good with his style and what he does. And like you said, can decide like to ape someone else for a panel and do it perfectly. Like the guy's a chameleon. He's incredible. And his own style is a collection of all these things that he loves. And Mark Wade is telling a story about a collection of all these characters and times in their lives and other creators that wrote these characters that he loves. And you put the two together and it's just amazing. It, the results are perfect. This is a huge buy it. I was thrilled that they pulled this off as well as they did. We're not dealing with this Lazarus pit bullshit anymore. So <laughs> Lazarus, up, Matt, that was, that was ages ago. Lazarus world. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say anything dumb. Like it's about the fundamentals. I mean, it's always about the it fundamentals with, art, with artists, but it is, uh, but I mean, that's not what makes Dan Moore's art. Great. It's like, you have to have an understanding of those fundamentals before you can be great. It's like, so Bruno Redondo, like, so there's a list, there's a list of these artists that are great at representing classic DC stuff. Chris sure. Somney, Doc Shaner, Dan Mora. Um, Chris Somney and Doc Shaner, theirs is, their stuff is great, but still pretty old fashioned looking. Dan Mora's stuff feels like it stepped out of the silver age, but also looks modern. Right. You can see where it came like, from. You can see and, him loving this stuff. But like when you look at him, like look at those pages in this issue of, of Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne sitting in Booster Gold's shitty yeah. franchise restaurant in the future. <laughs> the Craped Crusade. Planet, planet Krypton. <laughs> planet Krypton. That's great. <laughs> and as they're in their street clothes and like Clark Kent looks like he's got like a modern hairstyle. But like, if you look at it, it's like, man, there's something timeless about the way he depicts these characters. It, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. I think phenomenal. it's one of the most difficult things. When you have two white guys with black hair and like one wears glasses. That's how you know it's Clark and the other one's bad. No, this is definitely Bruce and Clark sitting down and you can yeah, tell they're right. two separate people. It's great. And he probably draws my favorite, like the my favorite interpretation of the flash maybe in. Arguably. Yeah. I, uh, since since 2011 at the very arguably least. i wish he was working on this new yeah. flashbook over mike diodato i said it there you go eat it well i mean said it 
Not taking it back. <laughs> All right. We're not going to, we're not going to build them up at the expense of anybody else. And we're done pumping them up. But yeah, buy this book. It's so freaking good. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. And now it's time for the scariest Justice League book you've ever read. It's Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong number one from DC, a partnership with Legendary Comics. It's 40 pages for $4.99. This is written by Brian Buccioletto. We were just talking about him. Double duty on the Buccioletto this week. Covered by Drew Johnson and Romulo Fiardo Jr. With art by Christian Deuce, who sounds like he might be a job or a wrestler. <laughs> I really like him. Inks by Deuce. Luis Guerrero. Letters by Jimmy Betancourt and Richard Starkings. It took two of them for some reason. Here, Maybe Jimmy Betancourt works for Comicraft. I don't know. They're both listed here. I'm not sure why. Here's your solicit. The cataclysmic crossover event of the year is here as the DC Universe clashes with Legendary's MonsterVerse in Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. Now, he ain't no King Kong here. He's just plain old Kong. Clark Kent is enjoying a night off with a very important dinner planned with his girlfriend, Lois Lane, when the entire city shudders under the weight of a monstrous Godzilla who emerges from the bay. What started as a routine clash between the Justice League and the Legion of Doom takes a dangerous turn when the wall between worlds is breached with Godzilla, Kong, and the Monsterverse emerging on DC's Earth. What ensues will be a brawl of unprecedented scale and destruction. From acclaimed writer Brian Buccioletto, who worked on Injustice, and best-selling artist Christian Deuce, who worked on Batman, Fortnite, Zero Point. Cool. Sure. (laughs) I'm glad I got a chance to cheer for Buccioletto earlier, because wow, is he phoning it in here. I get it. I get it. The title says it all. And readers are here to see the Justice League fight two famous giant monsters. But... That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to have a good story. The comic reads like an updated version of the 70s Super Friends cartoon, complete with the Legion of Doom bumbling their way to Skull Island after literally prying the doors open to Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, you can't do that. To steal a mother box for Lex's unnamed secret plan to take down the League. It's just like... This is the stuff of friggin' cartoons here. It's ridiculous. Don't worry about continuity here, and don't come looking for anything outside of cute as characters that have taken down gods get ready to fight giant monsters that really shouldn't pose them any threat at all. This just felt (laughs) out of time and out of place, and it's not just because, like, oh, the Justice League is not active in the DCU right now. No, it's like... Okay, Barry is the Flash. It's, Superman is going to ask Lois to marry him. And like, they could have put Black Label on the cover and or, it would have, or whatever. Know, and like, oh, yeah, all right. This sure. feels like something they've had Instead, in the can. Instead, they slapped the Legendary Studios logo on. Right. This feels like something they had in the can before Godzilla versus Kong came out and they just didn't no. release it for some reason. And no, now, no. here it is. <laughs> no, no. They just, they put it in a continuity adjacent, like, I mean, I guess. Reader friendly. But like, why, why? Oh, sorry. I kind of stepped on. I don't think you gave me. I'm giving it a skim it because it's like, this is not a failure by any means, but it's also like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? It's a very low skim it for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. The art is fine. The art is fine. The story is, the story is also fine when like, I'm not blaming Brian Buccioletto for this. No, he had a job to do. He was hired to do a job and he did the job. 
It's just that the job is stupid. Well, the job I would is argue stupid. you could still think about it a little more than this. Sure, sure. But like, it's obvious that there was some mandate. Like, this can't be tied to any, like, you need to make it as continuity free as possible. Well, That's sure. why we've got Hal Jordan. That's why Superman, there's this whole weird subplot about Superman getting but, ready to propose to Lois Lane. Do what I need for? this whole, like, toy man, you doddering fool. I never should have right. asked you to join my yeah, legion yeah. of doom. And then like, yes. they literally say the quiet part out loud when Cheetah goes like, well, so let me get this straight. The Justice League can beat us because they like them, like each other more. What are they, because they're super friends? Like, oh, there right, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, I don't understand why they made some of the creative decisions they did. And yeah, it's a skim it. That's the best you can do. I do have a lot of questions about the logistics of this fight and what happens when they cross through the portal, because like Godzilla is easily 100 stories tall when he shows up in Metropolis. Well, but he is that tall in the movies. Like they, the, the new American Godzilla is ridiculously tall. It's one of my, it's one of my main problems with this new Godzilla. Kong is not that big in the movies. No. And I know that he's a little shorter than Godzilla in Godzilla versus Kong, but no, he's way shorter. He's way, but he's not 60 feet shorter. Yeah. I'll bet he is. That's why they give him a magic ax to fight him with. No way. There's no way Kong is that short in that movie, but he he definitely, (laughs) maybe when he comes through the portal, he's bigger. I don't know. But then why didn't the Legion of Doom get smaller when they went through the portal? It doesn't. Well, this had nothing to do with the portal. The Toy Man I know. wished them there. That's true. You're right. There was no portal. No. Uh, the, the answer to all these questions is don't think about it too hard, dummy. Yeah. It, like, um, this is for people that just really love Godzilla and King Kong, like more than life itself. I and suppose. they can't wait to see them get beaten up by Batman. Yeah. I've seen better it, WWE wrestling stories it's, than this. So. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a dumb idea. It's a, it's a marketing cash in. It's a skim it. It's fine. Whatever. Meanwhile, at the hall of justice, our final review for this week's episode is sensational. She Hulk number one from Marvel. Speaking of marketing cash grabs, it's written by rainbow Rowell and Jessica Gao with art by, Andres Genolet and Gavin Gidry. Colors are by D. Kanif. Letters are by VCs Joe Caramagna. I, I was a little bit worried about Joe, but he, he made it in. He came back strong. Joe ended up with a hat trick yeah. as well. I think that's three for him, right? I think you're right. I think you're right. It's 40 pages of $4.99. It's got a cover by Jen Bartel. Here is your solicit. The sensational She-Hawk is back! Jen Walters is dusting off her adjective and kicking off a new era. The best hero slash lawyer in the Marvel Universe is going to remind you why she's so sensational. Going up against her deadliest challenge yet. Plus, Marvel Studios She-Hulk series writer Jessica Gao makes hers Marvel in a short story with the Jade Giant. Is she the Jade? I thought the Hulk was the Jade Giant. Maybe she's also the Jade Giant. The other Jade Giant. (laughs) I think they used to call her the Jade Giantess, but it's 2023 and we don't really do that sure, anymore. Sure, sure. They're all actors. Jen Walters embraces her classic title for a new series that picks up right where the last one left off. But that isn't to say that new readers will be lost. Rainbow Rowell does an excellent job giving context for everything that happens in the issue without bogging it down with tons of exposition. This issue is a celebration of Jen's supporting cast. It's a comic book about what heroes and occasional bad guys get up to after work hours 
as much as it is about Jen herself. There isn't even an actual villain in this issue at all, or even a hint of an ongoing conflict until the very last page. And all of that is absolutely a good thing in my book, since reading about the personal and professional lives of She-Hulk and her friends is the main appeal of the character. The backup story is by MCU She-Hulk writer Jessica Gao and uh, an artist that I've never heard of before called Gavin Guidry. He's really good. It's a cute little bonus, as are the gorgeous pinups by Emilio Lizo and Ig Guerra, or I.G. Guerra. I'm not really sure how we're supposed to say that. I think that. it's Ig. I think it's Ig. Okay. A lot of big two books are relaunched for mm, spurious reasons, let's say. But series editor Nick Lowe comes right out and says, yeah, we did this for the extra attention in the issue's back matter. Sensational Shield number one makes the case that the series relaunch is not only deserved, but it's worth buying for both new and existing fans. I'm giving this a buy it. I'm not going to blame this comic for the relaunch. Okay. It is what it is. This is, these are the times we live in. It sucks that they had to relaunch this because it was already a great book. And in a perfect world, we'd just be enjoying the She-Hulk month to month, and we wouldn't have to worry about sales and crap like that. Whatever. Nick Lowe, I like that he kind of came out and just like, and kind of admitted, this book is too good to cancel. It, it, it's a wonderful She-Hulk book. Let's give it another shot. You guys, read this or it's going away. I love what she's done with the character. I love all the interpersonal stuff. I am not as crazy about the art here, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Not sure why. But it came, became very apparent when Ben Grimm showed up. I do not like the way this thing looks no. at all. <laughs> all right. The Ben Grimm might not be your favorite. He but... looks like a short stone orangutan. <laughs> I don't like it. And, all right. And then when he stands next to some of the other characters, there's like a, there's, you know, a, a, a woman that is, she's a little bigger girl, right? Whatever. But she's like as big as the thing. <laughs> like what? <laughs> she's not a super Settle person. Down. <laughs> it's just some problems like that where it got like a little too cartoony when at other points it was still being very superhero comic, which fine. They always kind of walk that line. I agree. The backup artist, very good. In fact, I, I like the backup art even more. I, I like this. It's a buy it. There were just some things about the art that I didn't love. Drawing the thing is hard. Probably one of the Whatever hardest characters baby. to draw. Whatever. Probably one of the hardest characters out there that you can possibly draw. And you're not going to please everybody. I feel like everybody else looks great for the most part. It just showed a little bit there. Pick this up and read this, you guys. Please. Otherwise, we can't have nice things. So there. Bye. You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick which letterer pulled off the best hat trick and which of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection, Matt Bomb. I love Carmagna, but he's just too flashy. He's too flashy for me. That's my, <laughs> that dude, he just does it. You know, he's, he's a gentleman no about opinion. it. <laughs> he is a gentleman about it. Give him the Lady Bing trophy. I love the guy. My pick for next week goes to Gone. Permanent collection. Oh, permanent collection. Sorry, sorry. If I'm putting one comic in the permanent collection, it is beneath the trees where nobody sees because that yes. book shook me to my yes. core. <laughs> it was so creepy and 100%. great. And there was so much great stuff we read this week, but God damn, they did something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it hit me. It really hit me, man. I, I 100% agreed. I don't really have anything else to add, but... That, that book was something special, this, 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 this go-around. I loved it. 
time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to make our must-read picks for next week. New comic book day, Wednesday, October 25th. Joe, it's almost Halloween. So I'm assuming you picked something absolutely terrifying for the kids. You know it. My pick for next week is Alan Scott, the Green Lantern number one. Oh my God. (laughs) It's scary in a different way. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Tim Sheridan with art by uh, Cian Tormi, cover by David Talaski. Many, many years ago, uh, the DC Universe rebooted. The JSA went away. They're gone. There was no Golden Age. Until they reintroduced the concept of Earth 2 with like the second wave of New 52 books. And they created a new version of Alan Scott, who was a, a gay man, a homosexual man. And when they brought the JSA back into mainline continuity with DC Rebirth and Doomsday Clock and all that, there was a lot of worry about what they were going to do with that development because Alan Scott is a married father of two. And Lord knows gay people have never had children, Joe. It's impossible. Possible. That's not and what I mean. And they certainly know it. Haven't been closeted for a long time, and then finally came out. You know, during a marriage, it never happens. That's <laughs> not what I mean, and you know it. No, I know. That's, that's what the, all the jerks that were that's screaming the about. Point of, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the point of the story. Like there was a very wonderful uh, short story in one of the DC anthology books. I think Infinite, one of the Infinite Frontier books, where. He meets with Jade and Obsidian and says, hey, I just want to tell you guys that, like, I'm gay, you know? And I, the answer is that they're embracing it. They're embracing it and folding it into Alan's history as the straight-laced, you know, good-looking, lantern-jawed hero of the newsreels in the 1940s. Right, right. And it fits right in with things that happened to real-life celebrities back then. And there's a preview of that issue in several of DC's books this week. It's scary in a different way than Matt was joking earlier. It's it's like really horrible what, what was done to this guy. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it looks incredible. My pick for next week is gone, number one, from Distillery. It is 48 pages for $8.99 before we all start screaming. I believe this is another one that they're putting out in that kind of big, thick Yeah, distillery books, I think, are going to be big. Yeah, they're big. They take up room. Like like Black Label kind of books. Yeah, but they're they're also like kind of thicker bound even. Like, I mean, they're quality. No question. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, that still drives me nuts because it's not going to fit in your box. I get it. It is what it is. So what do you care? (laughs) This is written and drawn by Jock. It's a new series. We haven't seen a series from jock and I don't know how long and he's not the quickest artist. So I'm hoping they've got a lot of this in the can. This is basically like story about distant planet where workers resupply starships and stuff, sort of a backwater kind of place. And 13 year old girl wants to get out of there. Her name's Abby. She's sick of this stuff. She meets some new friends. They jump on a luxury ship and off they go to adventure. Turns out they're terrorists. <laughs> like, you know, you're 13. What do you do? The reason yeah. I'm picking this up is because Jock. No question. Eisner Award winning artist. Worked on Snow Angels, at Batman, One Dark Knight. 
This looks incredible. I love this guy's art. It is going to be an art book for fans of Jock. Hopefully the story's great too. He's written some other stuff I really like. So gonna check it out. Probably gonna have to buy this big sexy book though because they're all gonna look really good when they're all piled up next to each other on a (laughs) bookshelf. And I think they're making a statement doing this stuff. These aren't floppies, baby. They're more than that, you know? The THN trade of the week for October 25th is Harrower. It's a trade paperback from Boom Studios. It's written by Justin Jordan with art by Brom Revel. It's 128 pages for $17.99. Here's your scary stuff, Matt Bomb. There's nothing to fear in the quaint town of Barlow, New York, except, that is, for the Harrower. The children think this boogeyman is just an urban legend, but this purveyor of puritanical vengeance is very real and there's no escape. The harrower seems unkillable and spans generations, always returning. Jessica Brink is a teenage girl who, along with her equally skeptical friends, is in for much more than she could ever imagine on the night of a Halloween party. What gruesome secrets will she uncover as she flees the encroaching bloody mayhem of the harrower, the unstoppable force that stalks her and her friends? This deconstruction of the slasher genre from writer Justin Jordan, you know him from the strange talent of Luther Strode, and artist Brom Revel, who you know from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, is the fresh and terrifyingly grounded take on the slasher genre horror fans have been dying for. Jessica will learn that sometimes, dot, 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 there's terror in tradition. Collect Harrower, one through four. Harrower was great. I loved this series. I wrote about it on our site for one of those weeks where we missed new comics. We did like a ludicrous speed round, and I gave it a huge buy it, number one. But I read one through four. It was great. A lot of fun. And I love Bram Ravel like created a truly scary character <laughs> good stuff so what are you nerds reading next week and which letterers do you prefer to hear about on this show I know we talk about them a lot we have our favorites but maybe we're missing some letterers that you guys think you know why don't we give this the spotlight seriously give somebody else a chance for a change will ya let us Letters know. deserve their time to shine. Let us know over in our Discord and be sure to put these comics on your pull list so you can read along with us. Not next week, but the week after that. We're going to review these picks. It's going to be awesome. It's almost time to get frustrated enough with this magazine-sized episode and throw it into the garbage rather than find a bag and board that'll fit it. But a box, Jesus. Yeah. Here's a sneak peek of the amazing content that you get access to when you support TH on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. Welcome to your bi-monthly THN Extra. Today, we are celebrating the return of Nerdy where we talk about nerdy television. We got two new shows. We don't, you know what? Screw you, actor strike, writer strike. We still got new shows for a couple more months. Then there's going to be this long, drawn-out period of nothing, and then they'll all (laughs) come back again. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't know if we're saying screw you to the writer's strike. No, no, we're no, happy no. that the writer's strike happened. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm, well, look. I'm it happy needed they, to happen. I'm happy they got what they want and all that and stuff. It's just like the whole thing sucked, you know? So screw you, you know? Whatever. But we support. We're all in favor. Sure. Yeah. The good news mm-hmm. is last week we got the first, pardon me, second spinoff of The Boys. There was Diabolical, which was an animated spinoff, which, I, I mean, I guess it's a spinoff. It was kind of in its own thing, doing its own thing. It was fun though. Liked it. This is a direct spinoff. And originally it was titled uh, the boys varsity, right? It was what they were going to call it. And it was going to be about the G men, John Godolkin's school for the G men, which is obviously an X-Men play. That's not quite where we ended up. So don't worry about rushing to eBay to go pick up the first appearance of John Godolkin or the G-Men because that's not what's going on here. The only thing they really did run with was the academy idea, a school for students, more or less. And it happens to be called Goldoken University. In the comics, Goldoken, he was like a Professor X. He was also a cult leader, kidnapper, and according to his wiki, a serial rapist. So... That checks yeah, out with the boys. <laughs> that tracks, that tracks, yeah. Uh, so the Gen V follows the first generation of uh, super beings that know their powers come from compound V. Right. Which is the chemical, like, r- over the course of the boys, it was revealed that compound V is responsible for the existence of superpowers, not whatever bullshit origin people would come up with. Right. And like that For was the one most thing part. Goldoken lied about to everybody. He kidnapped kids, literally gave them compound V and turned them into superpowered people for his teams and became a billionaire doing it. He was a really, really bad guy. If you do want to read it, it was episodes 23 through 30, a storyline called We Gotta Go Now, where Huey turned into bagpipe to break into their school and uh, (laughs) (laughs) drop bugs and everything to spy on them and found out a lot of really, really terrible shit was going on. This show has nothing to do with that. This show, at first, I kind of got like this almost CW feel for it, where I was like, oh man, what are we doing here? Well, it's like a teen drama. It is, but it's a boys teen drama. So of course, it is dark as hell. It is violent as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so before tons we did, of dicks. Look, before we get any farther, <laughs> let's just like set up some stuff. Gen V premiered on September 29th. Uh, there are four episodes so far. The fifth episode comes out on Friday. Uh, it stars Jazz Sinclair as Marie, Chance Perdomo as Andre, Lizzie Broadway plays Emma, aka Cricket, Maddie Phillips is the cheerleader type, Kate. Uh, you've got a couple of characters that both play Jordan Lee. It's a big old thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so far in the first episode, no characters from the boys have appeared other than uh, Ashley, right? Is her name? Well, the assistant that became like the boss. We saw her and we also saw. Um, we see Elizabeth Shue in like Elizabeth archival Shue. footage. Yeah. But I mean, the good it, news here is one. You don't have to know anything about the comic to enjoy this. Two, you really don't need to know anything about the other boys show either so far. It's a pretty self-contained kids at super college kind of story learning to use their powers. Oh, by the way, there's a big, deep, dark secret behind the college because it is the boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, I guess a couple of a, a couple of big characters that I missed 
uh, Clancy Brown plays Professor Brinkerhoff, who is sort of like the headmaster or what have you of the Institute. And uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, son of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver, plays Golden Boy. Oh, uh, no kidding. He is their the, kid. Uh, All right. Yeah. He's kind of like the he's the Homelander type, right? The next generation of like chosen one to right. be the the face of everything and so naturally things go horribly wrong. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 719. If you dig our new comic reviews, we got a YouTube channel where you can subscribe to this show or the other shows, our Back Issue show and the Gang Hang separately. Check them out or listen to them as podcasts on YouTube music. It's a whole new thing. I guess Google Play went away while nobody was looking. I don't know. <laughs> Next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, forcing us to review eight back-issue comics based on a theme, and it's almost Halloween. So we're going to be reading the deadest comics of all, zombie comics! If you need more THN in the meantime, though, join us for the THN cover-to-cover gang hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else can these nerds do at our Discord? You can get in on the action before we even air the show with our episode discussion threads. You can react in real time to news of the kick-ass movies getting a reboot. Why? Or, <laughs> I know. I or maybe you just want to answer the question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Joe Reynolds. What nerdy characters or story ideas did you dream up as a kid? These can be original creations or ideas that you had for your existing favorites. Give us your elevator pitch. And as a bonus, share any nerdy artwork that you drew growing up. It doesn't matter how old you were. It doesn't matter if you were an artist. We all created shit as a kid. We all dreamed up our own stories when we were kids. We want to hear about Props to the people that have already posted pictures. One, that is brave. Two, I can't believe you still own that crap. I threw all mine away. Uh, Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. And sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash discord. Once you're in there, you can post about any of our segments or send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the dang show. It's been too long since we've done that. If you're new to this show and this episode scared you shitless, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. And honestly, that Spider-Man comic was not that scary. Okay, calm down. (laughs) The good news is you can hear the entire NFTHN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Greg Chisholm. If you like what you hear every week and you spell your name kind of weird like Greg does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. He's a G-R-E-I-G. He might be a Greg. I don't know. Maybe he's Greg. Maybe it's not pronounced Greg. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe we're the idiots. And Greg's a smart one. Also, Matt, when it comes to judging scary stuff, not everyone has a heart as black and twisted as yours. So your metric is different. Just an adult, Joe. (laughs) Uh Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Hugo Tverdick's dad, John Tverdick, and John Tverdick's better half, Sarah Tverdick, who celebrated their wedding anniversary earlier this week. Happy anniversary, you crazy kids. We love you guys. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just leave you at the altar. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off!